0: Good morning, we'll continue in our study today in the book of uh, Colossians, we'll go ahead and start by reading the passage, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 21, we'll review just the last couple of verses from our last passage to uh, connect with the passage we have today. And you this is Colossians 1:21 and you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. This was the conclusion of last week. Uh, we've been reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Now we're adding kind of an addendum here in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me. Mightily. Part of the joys of being a parent is uh, having children. (laughs) And uh, one of the joys of having children is uh, to see in them a desire to uh, emulate you. Uh, It didn't really happen to me until my third child. (laughs) And uh, in Joey, I I could see that he wanted to uh, be like Daddy. Daddy do the different things that I do. And uh, that's wonderful. It brings a joy to a parent's heart. What sometimes worries us is as our children grow older, they often start looking not to us, their parents, as uh, the example to follow, but others. And uh, we often call that role models. Role models. When, you, when uh, someone, you look to somebody and, uh, and uh, you you follow their example. Uh, it's very common often with uh, movie stars or rock uh, stars. I had uh, an interest in Michael Jackson when I was uh, uh, maybe around 10 or 11. Fortunately I was very far away removed from him being in Israel. And I didn't really know much about him other than the songs he was singing and how he was dancing at the time. But uh, it's uh, not necessarily a bad thing to have a role model. Right? It depends who that role model is. Uh, we uh, see in the scriptures the example of the Lord Jesus being, if you would, a role model. Right? He, uh, took, he chose the 12 disciples to live with him. And the idea is they didn't just learn from Jesus. They didn't just hear the laws of God, what they needed to do, what they shouldn't do. They got to see a living example. There they were with Jesus day after day. And they could pattern their lives after his life. He was a role model for them. And he is really the ultimate role model as we were singing, Oh, to be like thee. We have a real desire to be like him. And that's really our very purpose of existence existing, and the very purpose of him saving us is to become like the Lord Jesus. Now, in the passage today, we're going to look at somebody else as a role model, and the reason we can do it is the scripture tells us we can. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, <clears throat> verse 1, Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, All right? Paul was saying, look, look to me as a role model, okay? Do what I do. Imitate me. And uh, that's, that was part of God's design for the church. Remember, he, he, uh, in the Great Commission, he didn't just say, go and preach the gospel to the apostles. He says, go preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them all things which I commanded you. They were supposed to share everything they learned about Christ, and one of the ways they would have to do it is the same way Jesus himself did, by being an example, right? And uh, we have examples among us today. It says uh, in Hebrew thirteen seven: Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So God has, in his plan for us in growing to become like Jesus, to put people in our midst that we can follow because they were the ones who shared the word with us and they're following Christ themselves and so we can look to them and follow them, right? Today we have the portrait of Paul in the passage and we want to look at Paul and think about him as a role model. How can we imitate Paul more in our lives? Okay, and I found six points. You could probably find more But uh, we'll go ahead and stick with uh, six main points in the life of Paul as is communicated to us in this passage. Okay, the first one in verse uh, 23, remember he shared the gospel or the gospel's power of saving people, people being reconciled to God. And then he says, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. So he's saying there's a certain condition here to being saved and receiving this blessing that I shared with you, and that is holding on to the gospel and believing the gospel. Now, we're not saying here that you can lose your salvation, but it's possible for a person to profess to be a Christian and and at some point to forsake the gospel and to no longer believe the Christian message. And then the scripture tells us this in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us. So somebody leaves, saying, I don't believe this stuff anymore. They're leaving, they're walking out the door. This is what we're told. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So when a person leaves, they're demonstrating that they're not saved. They're not becoming unsaved. You cannot lose your salvation. Now, why is Paul saying this in this place? Remember, Colossians is a warning letter. False teachers have come into the church, and they're beginning to teach other things, like you're saved by your works. You need to keep the law. Uh, Jesus isn't the only way or the only part of the way. There's all these angels we also need to follow and worship. And And what Paul is saying here, look, if you forsake the gospel I shared with you and start doing these other things, you cannot have confidence in the assurance I'm giving you here. He was giving them assurance of their salvation, reconciling with God. He said, all of this is not yours if you're forsaking the gospel and going to these method. other methods, if you would, of being uh, right with God. It reminds me of Ezekiel. I don't know if uh, you remember the image God gives of being a watchman. God talks to Ezekiel, and he, he says that he is a watchman. And in those days, you didn't have uh, you know, radar, and, you know, cell phones, communication. Uh, and uh, you needed someone to warn the people, a warning system, if an enemy was approaching. People were outside of the town, uh, outside the city walls, and they were maybe working or playing or doing whatever. An enemy is coming across. If they would catch them outside the city wall, they're vulnerable, right? They, they could fall prey to the attacker. And so the watchman was to stand at the high place and keep an, a lookout. And when he saw the danger, he was to sound the alarm, and then the people could flee to safety. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's that faithful watchman. He sees the danger coming, the false teacher, they're preaching another gospel, and he's sounding the alarm to the Colossians. Look, if you guys are going to follow what they're saying, all this assurance about being in Christ is not yours. That's the alarm, being a faithful watchman. All right, number two. Uh, Paul, (coughs) so number one, I said a faithful watchman. Number two, Paul is a dedicated steward. He says in verse 25, of which, I'm sorry. uh, First in verse 23, so the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And later on, verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister, According to the stewardship from God, which was given, given to me for you. Now what Paul is talking is about the gospel. He sees himself as a steward. He recognizes that God has given him the gospel message. And in the case of Paul, this, this had a special meaning. Jesus literally took him aside. People didn't have the Bible in those days, at least not the New Testament, the authoritative word of God of how you're saved. And God took Paul aside. And he explained to Paul exactly how a person gets saved—the gospel message. And Paul saw himself as a steward, right? He he had this uh, gift from God, if you would, and now he needed to take that and share it with others. And others believing in it, they will be saved too. But what he he's calling himself here a servant of the gospel or a minister of the gospel. And what I see here is it's kind of like elevating the gospel, you know, above himself and he sees himself as a servant of it. Now, most places it says that Paul is a servant of God, right? But now he received this ministry from God, and he's saying this is so important that my whole life is worth spending just serving this ministry or stewardship that God has given him. That that became the most important thing in Paul's life. Now, 1 Peter tells us, 1 Peter for 10 as as each one has received a gift minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God so what this verse tells us is that God has given a gift to each one of us if you're here a believer today God has given you a gift just like he's given Paul the stewardship of the gospel, you have received some gift from God. The question is, what are you doing with that gift? Or what do you want to do with that gift? What Paul says is, this is becoming my life. This is my master. I live to serve the gospel, the gift of God. And that's what Peter tells us to do. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We should each live our lives to serve whatever it is that God has given us to do. And in that, Paul was following Jesus' example. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what his life was about. That's what Paul's life was about. That's what our life should be about, too. Now, what to do if I don't know what my gift is? seems like we talk about that frequently. Uh, first of all, it's, it's worth searching for that gift find out what is it that god has given me and wants me to do with my life because the scripture assures us that god has given us such a thing Uh, so you can search in the scripture you could pray you can ask for counsel uh, lots of good means to try to establish what that gift is one of the things i often say is well try it out (laughs) go serve the lord as you see a need anywhere in the assembly or opportunity, and it's really by that experience you'll identify this is my gift, this is what God called me to do. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> what should I do? Uh, well, you could take the gospel here. So, for in the case of Paul, very clearly his gift was sharing the gospel, right? But that's something that God has given to each one of us, right? The gospel, uh, the great commission was to go into. All the world and to preach the gospel to every creature and the apostles were to do it and then they were to teach every man exactly the same thing Jesus taught them well what did Jesus teach them preach the gospel well they have to pass it along well now it's my job to preach the gospel no one no believer is really free from that particular gift (laughs) or ministry uh, of sharing the gospel uh, with others so you can certainly as we go through this passage and we think about the stewardship if you know what God's gift is for you By all means, you can apply what we're saying to that gift. This is what God wants me to do, how God wants me to live uh, toward this gift he's given me. And if you don't, just substitute the gospel because that applies to everybody. Okay, so first one, Paul was a faithful watchman. Second, he was a a dedicated steward. Third, I say he was joyful in suffering. Not I, of course, but the scripture says it. He says, I now rejoice and my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, what does, what does Paul mean when he says, I rejoice in my suffering for you? What, first of all, what kind of suffering was he experiencing? Uh, well, for one thing, he was writing this letter from prison. He was in prison because he was sharing the gospel, in particularly with Gentiles, right? And apparently that was bad enough that uh, you need to go to jail for that. So that's one form of suffering, Uh, but uh, Paul has a whole list of them, so we could read that if we wanted to understand a little bit more uh, the kind of suffering Paul was uh, suffering for the terrible crime of sharing the gospel with people. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul starts in verse 22, are they Hebrews, and he's talking here about false teachers, seems like he was running into them in almost every epistle, but there were people who were Hebrews, claimed to be teachers, they were false teachers, and Paul is adding here a distinction between him and they. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, and what he means by that, I'm boasting now, and that's not my style. Okay, That's not what Paul was about. He wasn't about glorifying himself, but he has to put this here in order for us to be able to tell that Paul was a true servant of Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more, more a minister of Christ. In labors, more abundant, and stripes above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In death, often. From the Jews, five times I received so Forty stripes minus one. And this is not the stripes of like painting someone with stripe; It's hitting them with a stick hard enough to leave a line across. Forty Received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and by the way, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So we could say that Paul was suffering, okay? (laughs) He wasn't boasting when he said he was suffering. The question is, how can Paul possibly be joyful and rejoice in his suffering, right? That should be the question. Now, I have here three answers. One, which we'll get to very quickly in our Matthew class. Well, you know, Jesus said we should rejoice, He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there's a reward in heaven, right? For every suffering that Paul was going through, God was going to reward him. Uh, and I'm, I'm convinced that the rewards that God has in heaven are more than good enough to uh, make up for whatever we suffer for him here. Okay? So that's one reason he may have been rejoicing and should have been rejoicing. Uh, another reason, and uh, that could be implied by his wording, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. There was a direct fruit of his suffering. Now, Paul could have decided, you know, this life is not for me. All this beating and stoning and imprisonment. I'm going to go back to being a tent maker. That was more comfortable living. The problem, if Paul went and did that, is the Colossians and people like the Colossians would not be saved. And they would miss the joys that God had for them. And as Paul was seeing the fruit of his suffering, if you would, which was the joy of the believers that gave him joy, right? And that's the way Christ was. Christ, for our sakes, was willing to suffer on the cross. In a similar way, Paul, for the sakes of the Colossians, could be rejoicing in his suffering. Possible. Uh, Finally, and uh, this perhaps is suggested by the phrase, uh, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, uh, Paul could have been rejoicing because of the fellowship he was experiencing with Christ as a result of being in the center of God's will for him. Right? So this is what is sometimes referred to as vicarious living. Vicarious living. This is my, was my introduction to it was when I got to Berkeley. I went to Berkeley as a student, and um, my mother told me, that she always wanted to go to Berkeley. And finally, in her son, her dream was fulfilled. <laughs> okay. Anybody ever share that? I, I, I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago about my daughter entering this uh, awana race, car race. And uh, you know, she won third place, which for me was a wonderful thing. I know some people might spurn third place, <laughs> but you know, I was very excited for her, right? You know, that was vicarious living, being happy for my daughter, winning this car race. Well, Jesus loved the church, and he was willing, and even more than willing, wanted to suffer for the church, for the church's good, right? And uh, he was effectively accomplishing it through Paul. That's what Paul means, that he was filling up in his flesh what was lacking in the affliction of Christ. Christ wanted somebody there willing to take the beating for the gospel and sharing the gospel so that other people can hear it and be saved and be blessed through it and paul was willing to take that spot and suffer and uh you know if christ is is uh, living in you right we're talking about vicarious living we'll get more into that right and you're suffering for him do you think that you're gonna be left to suffer alone No, you're going to to have Christ in the midst of it, suffering with you. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 3.10. He talks about his aspiration as a Christian. And we can identify, at least with the first two, that I may know him. He wanted to know Christ. We do too. And the power of his resurrection. We want that too. Well, he adds to it, and the fellowship of his suffering. That was Paul. Right, I mean, he wanted the fellowship he could experience with Christ by suffering with him. And let me tell you, somebody who's like that is unstoppable for Christ. Turn, if you would, to uh, Acts 20, verse uh, 22. You know, Paul says this. This is on his way to uh, Jerusalem. And he's talking to the Ephesians. Elders, actually not so far from where Colossus was. And he says this, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing things, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So here was Paul. He was going to Jerusalem. He had a particular ministry. He was carrying a financial gift from the Gentile churches to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And uh, he was being warned left and right by spirit-filled people. You go to Jerusalem, Paul, you're going to suffer. And uh, this was Paul's response. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with what? With joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, suffering wasn't a problem for Paul. Okay, I rejoice in it. And I think a big part of it was the fellowship with Christ. That is possible when we are at the center of his will, suffering for him. Okay, just to apply to ourselves, it's sometimes hard for us to, uh, you know, connect with verses talking about suffering for Christ because there's very little persecution that happens in this Country. So I just want to point out, not all of Paul's suffering was getting beaten up and thrown in prison, right? If we were to look at the passage in 2 Corinthians, I'll just point out the words. Uh, he says, in labors more abundant, right? Can we do that? We can do that. In weariness and toil, can we do that? We can do that. In sleeplessness, often, can we do that? We can, do we want to do that? <laughs> Maybe not, but that's suffering for Christ, right? Which results in, in being able to rejoice in him, too. And uh, hunger and thirst, my deep concern for all the churches. Getting involved in people's lives is not always comfortable, right? Because people don't always make their best choices. And yet, uh, you know, so we, we suffer if we minister to them. And yet, that allows us to suffer with Christ and for Christ. Okay, uh, so joyful in suffering. Uh, fourth one, he was excited about his stewardship. Are you excited about the ministry that God has given to you? Well, Paul was really excited about the ministry God gave to him. Uh, in verse uh, 25, actually verse 26, he says, the mystery is now talking about the gospel that was given to him. He says, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we catch some of that excitement in a parallel passage in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He said, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Paul was really excited about sharing the gospel. And uh, here's the two reasons Paul was excited. One is... It was a mystery. People didn't know about it. Now, in his case, it was mostly historical, right? The gospel was something new. Up to that point, people didn't really know the message of the gospel. Right? It was something new. People didn't understand that the Messiah was going to die on the cross for their sins. Right? So that was kind of something new. Uh, but even today, most people don't know the gospel. Right? You know something that other people don't know. And uh, the, uh, the gospel, Paul talks about, uh, about it in these passages, especially the one in Ephesians, was really part of God's plan for the universe from the beginning. It was hidden from ages and generations, but always in the mind of God. And uh, what you know is really the meaning of life and the purpose of every person that you meet. They may not know it, <laughs> right? But that's God's purpose for them, right? To know him and to have a relationship with him. So you can share with them really what the purpose of their life is. Something that they don't know. For Paul, that was exciting. And uh, the other thing was just the riches of it. Right? He describes it as uh, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now, what does it mean that Christ is in us? Well, it means what it says. Christ... <laughs> Is in us. When you become saved, the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, about whom we talked last time about all his glories in heaven, comes into you. He has a personal relationship uh, with you. He says in uh, John 14, "...a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father." And you and me, and I in you. <clears throat> we often talk about being in Christ, and being in Christ speaks about all the blessings that we have in Him. I'm thinking of this phrase, Christ being in you, as the enjoyment of the relationship that we can have with Him. Uh, it was, a, there was a hymn written. I uh, don't have the name in front of me, maybe if it gets displayed I'll get it right, right, C. Austin Miles, and um, he wrote this I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Now we have it in good authority that this uh, hymn was not written in a garden. It was written in a leaky, cold, dreary um, basement that has no windows in it. And yet, he speaks about enjoying fellowship with God. And this is uh, the secret or the riches that every Christian has, which is a personal relationship with God, which even in the midst of the most terrible circumstances, you can actually experience joy. He came to have a relationship with you. This is the purpose of your existence. He made you for himself. And you can know him and enjoy fellowship with him, intimate fellowship, which is the source of joy that a Christian can have in every circumstance of life. Now he uh, adds and says, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is Christ in us being the hope of glory? Well, glory speaks about our future uh, life with Christ. Right? We're going to heaven. We're looking forward to heaven. But the wonderful thing about heaven is Jesus himself. And so it is to the same extent that we enjoy our fellowship with him now that we look forward to enjoying that relationship in heaven. The closer we go to him now, the more we want to actually be with him. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So right now, my knowledge of Christ is limited. I walk with him by faith, not by sight. But the day is coming when I will walk with Jesus by sight. And I will see him who loved me. Him who was willing to stretch his hands and have the nails put in it. The Son of God, the creator of the universe for the single purpose of having a relationship with me. We were worshiping him uh, this morning at the breaking of bread with this picture of the prodigal son and how much the father loved the prodigal son. That is the love that God is trying to communicate he has for each one of us. So that's the riches of the gospel and why Paul was so excited about having the privilege to share the gospel. It was God's plan for every person and it held in it the riches of the gospel. Every person can come into an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. That's why he was excited. Okay, number five. And uh, that I wrote is the perseverance. So we're looking here for, for traits in Paul that are worth emulating, and one of them was perseverance. We see that in verse 28, Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, preaching Jesus was not popular then, just like it is not popular now. And uh, we have in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, for Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. Right? People didn't like the message of the cross. Right? They preferred other things that these false teachers were sharing. And yet, Paul was sticking to Christ. And he says, Him we preach. <clears throat> Uh, then, um, it shows Paul's concern to every person. It says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. For Paul, every person was important. Every person that he was preaching, uh, was preaching the gospel to, he says, warning every man. And I think that speaks of warning them of the danger of not receiving uh, all the riches that were theirs in Christ. Now, people love it when we share the good news with them. They don't always like it as much when we apply a warning and says, you need to really be careful that you're holding on to Christ and, and what Christ has for you, because if not, you're going to lose the blessing of it. Right? And Paul was faithful in uh, warning people, teaching every man. It's one thing to perhaps declare the gospel. I you know, have asked people to raise their hands and say a prayer with you, It's another thing to stick with them and to teach with them, go through the scripture, making sure they're understanding the gospel and all the other teaching that God has in his word for us. And Paul was willing to do that. Uh, To present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, I think that's Paul thinking of the maturity of believers. He didn't want to leave a person as as a newborn Christian. And his goal was to make every person a mature Christian and able to again, appreciate all the privileges that are theirs in Christ and able to then go and themselves make disciples. Now, Paul says, to this end, I also labor, striving. And I want to just spend a minute thinking about these words. To do the work Paul did was hard work, right? The, ter- the term labor, we don't apply to uh, you know, people like me that, sit all day at their computer and type stuff and then get paid at the end of the day for it. Uh, we usually don't think of that as labor. We think about people who are working in the field, maybe in the you know, heat of the day and you know, doing this hard work and at the end of the day they come home and they're tired from all this work they've done. That was Paul. He, he worked till he was tired. This was hard work that he was doing. He said he was striving... And uh, the Greek word for striving is agonizomai. Agonizomai. What does that speak to you of? It was painful. (laughs) So, you know, serving the Lord isn't what we sometimes call a bed of roses. Right? I mean, there was difficulty. We talked about the suffering that was involved. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't have joy in it at the same time, but... uh, When God is calling us to serve him, he's not saying that it's not going to be difficult. And he's not saying that it's not going to be painful. And yet Paul was willing to persevere in this work of the gospel that God gave him, even if it meant working till he was exhausted. And even if it meant suffering, working till it was painful. He kept on going. All right, seven and last, Uh, Characteristic of Paul in this passage that we want to model or look at him as a role model is his availability. The last verse, to this end I also label striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Now Paul wasn't taking credit for the work that he was doing. He was ascribing the credit to God in this passage. He he says it again in... uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostle, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Who does the credit go to? It goes to God. Now, you know, how do we emulate that? So this is, again, really goes to this vicarious living. You know, Christ called us to live for him. And he's there with the infinite power to enable us to to live for him, right? So how do we do it? How do we access this power of God to live for God? And uh, I have three suggestions here. Uh, the first one is we need to understand that it's possible. right? It says in this passage that Christ is in us. right? And Paul was suffering and enjoying fellowship with him, and Paul was serving him and enjoying his power. This is not something that's designed only for Paul. It's something that is designed for every Christian. Every Christian is supposed to have Christ in him. Right? And every Christian is supposed to live for Christ. And it's impossible to live for Christ without his power. Right? So I think it's worth knowing that that's God's design for you. Second, we need to have a proper opinion of ourselves. Right? And by a proper opinion of ourselves, I mean this, a proper opinion of ourselves. <laughs> okay. It's easy for us to have a high opinion of ourselves. Right? But what does it say? God resists the but he gives grace to the right, To humble means to have a proper opinion of ourselves. Uh, some of you know it, but I recently listened to a uh, comment—not uh, a biography of D.L. Moody, which uh, is one of, you know, the better-known evangelists uh, of modern time. This is a picture of him when he was young, as an encouragement to the young people here. Uh, he he. Uh, he started life very a very low place of society. His, uh, I forget if his father left or his father died when he was very young, uh, so his mother had to raise all of them. I mean, they didn't have much. And uh, he ended up leaving home, go to the big city, I think, which was Boston in those days, and finding the dream job of being a shoe salesman. And uh, he actually did really well in that job, and he became a Christian. And, uh, you know, wanted to serve God in whichever way he could. And being an excellent salesman, he started by uh, filling the church's pews, right? He was going to a church in those days. You could rent a pew. And that was your pew, right? That's where you got to sit. But he didn't reserve it for himself. He would go to bars and, you know, sell the gospel, right? And get people to come and sit in the pew and listen to the sermon. And he was successful, right? He was a good salesman. Um, and then uh, he moved to Chicago, and uh, there he was convicted. He needed to do more for God, so he started, you know, wanting to teach. And uh, he wasn't very—I uh, don't know what the word for it—a very uh, literary man. He, I mean, he barely knew how to write. Okay, so he wasn't—he he didn't go to Bible school, and so he was very humble and. Uh, he would, uh, he would learn from others, right? He, he preached a sermon. Somebody came and, you know, told, you know, Moody, you were just completely off on that point. And he says, thank you, brother, for coming to me and telling me. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> you know, and he learned from people. That was his only way, right, of learning. And uh, he became quite successful in his Sunday school, as I understand it. Uh, again, because he was willing to go, where, you know, where people needed him. You know, he would go to the slum give the the kids a penny each so they would come to his Sunday school class. Um, And he ended up building quite a large church, probably one of the largest churches in Chicago of his day. And uh, then the great fire in Chicago happened, and uh, he went to raise money. He went to New York and went door to door, maybe church to church, saying, our church burned down, we need to build another church. And uh, something broke in him during that... uh, during that time in New York, trying to uh, collect money for the building of this church. And uh, he felt he just wasn't able. He just couldn't do it anymore. You know, he was, he was doing work and too much of it must have been in the strength of his flesh. And he just came to the end of himself. He says, God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And uh, that was really the beginning of his blessing to the world. Up to that point, I'm sure he was a, a great blessing in Chicago. But uh, he went to England and um, you know, uh, had uh, some opportunities to speak. And it's like you know, God opened windows in heaven. And the revival started pouring down in England. And he ended up going around the world preaching. It's been estimated that uh, over 100 million people heard him preach. And we're talking 150 years ago. <laughs> There weren't as many people as there are today. There were no amplification system. You know, churches were limited in size. No TV broadcast. Uh, his, it says of this that his detractors admitted that heaven was probably populated by another million people because of him. And uh, But the key, I think, was really reaching that end of himself in New York and realizing, you know, God, I'm just too small for this job. I can't do it. And uh, that was the secret for Paul too, right? He says, I am the least of the apostles. I am the chief of sinners, right? But that's the kind of person God can use. And uh, finally, the third key to uh, living in the power of God, I believe, is for us in John 15, 22 and 23. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, talking to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered. So he's asking him for a manifestation of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I think the key here is the word, keep my word. right? God doesn't force us. We don't ask for the power of God and God just takes over and starts walking us and doing things with us. Okay? God reveals His will to us in His word. If we are willing to do His will and we step forward, we say, Lord, I want to obey Your word. I see this is what You want me to do. That's when the power of God comes. He enables you to do His word. He doesn't take over you and make you do His word. So... To the extent we're willing to follow him as Paul was and do whatever God calls us, that is when the power of God is available. May that be true for your life and mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who is uh, our object of worship and uh, the ultimate uh, likeness that we desire to wear. We thank you for Paul and uh, his example to us we thank you that you want us to live Christ-filled lives and you want the power of Christ to be manifested in us Lord we pray for that you might help us humble ourselves do whatever it is we need to do whatever it is you want us to do so we might uh, experience your power and be vessels of your glory but we ask for it in your name amen